0: Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, And during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians, or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception and cognition.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen, and I am your producer, and I am sitting here with the lovely Marianne. Yo! Oh, thank you, Karen. I'm so happy for these conversations. They're my favorite thing. I think I enjoy this podcast actually more than my own.
0: Well, you're very
1: sweet <laughs> to say that. I
0: certainly love it. So oh, thank you. Oh
1: my gosh, this is so good. I'm, I'm so excited for, for this series. I feel like it's your method meets like magic. And I'm, I'm just so pumped for, you know, everybody listening and, and how the fact that we're just having these conversations, I think is just so important.
0: Well, there's communication for you. That's the magic.
1: Yes, uh-huh. absolutely. Um, so today's topic is something we've been talking about. Um, and I, I feel like even subconsciously, we've been alluding to that throughout the podcast. And I'm excited to just kind of tackle that head on now. Um, the relationship between structure and behavior.
0: Yes. Wow. That's that term structure and then combined with behavior came from my husband Keith Hill. So when we first met way back when in the 19, uh, late 1970s, I guess it was, uh, Keith and I connected on this topic because I was studying left and right brain function. My research was definitely casual, but I was reading a great deal on the subject of little left and right hemispheres. So the beautiful book by Betty Edwards, you know, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, and all these other fantastic books that were coming out. Gene Houston's work, I cannot name all of the things, but Robert Ornstein also doing all kinds of neurology, uh, neurological studies on patients who had divided brain function. So I was doing all of this, and I was teaching, and, and of course, being a musician, I connected with my husband, Keith, the person who would become my husband. And Keith was a harpsichord builder, and uh, so We would talk and he said, boy, you know, I have this idea about structure versus behavior or really structure and behavior. And Keith realized that what I was really describing in a way with the left and right hemisphere stuff, research as it was, was related somewhat to this phenomenon. So he would say that the brain is designed to structure, I should say, to understand how structure and behavior operate and in fact to try to balance it and I thought this was so wonderful. Okay, so in music my work was there is a certain degree of structure I consider that sort of the left hemisphere that is there are 12 notes to the octave, there are rhythmic patterns that are four and two or three and that these are structures and that that then music and pitch and interval is much more behavioral. It's moving, it's changing, of course it was rhythm. So at that time I, I was really talking about the fact that there could be these intuitive feelings, it'd be right hemisphere, and then there'd be these very structural things that we learn, the cognitive structures in music. And I was trying to help people get that together. So Keith thought, well, okay, let's let's talk more about that. i ever since that conversation I've been very, very strongly aware of how these two elements interact in our lives. So in our current world, I think, we really see how structure and behavior are affecting us in a global way. For example, you notice how things feel very chaotic, we're sort of out of control. Mm -hmm. And uh, that there are so many elements now that it, the internet exists. We have all this communication and all of this stuff, but it feels really chaotic. So that would be the behavioral element. The behavioral element is that what you cannot put in a box. You can, can cannot contain it easily. It is uh, moving. It's changing constantly. And so trying to nail it down would be very, very difficult. Um, so one of the things we see is we kind of are going back to a potentially an authoritarian mentality, that mm. there's a lot of talk about the fact that wouldn't an authoritarian regime be more effective? This is a reaction to overuse of behavior. It creates an over-structured environment, a desire for, okay, everybody, just tell me what to do, and I will be happy if you just tell me exactly what to do. Mm. And this is what gave birth to, I believe, Nazism in huh. the uh, 20th century that would eventually turn us into a situation with World War Two. So basically, things were just getting too wild. Mm. We were in a highly decadent period in our history. Uh, I think, unfortunately, in Germany, at post-World War One, things got really loosey-goosey and yeah. out of control. There wasn't enough structure, and the reaction was that very often the few men that were left after World War I could be terrible brutalizing fathers, from what we understand, yeah. that the young men were brutalized um, and bullied. And uh, so it, it, you can see how uh, too much freedom can create the opposite effect, too much rigidity. To me, we have to be seeking a balance between those. Now, it could be, I'm a Libra, <laughs> um, and I, I I do like balance. I have a lot of Enneagram 9, which mm-hmm. is the peacemaker, and seeing both sides to every issue, I have a lot of that in me. So that there is this desire, there's no question in my life in particular, to achieve balance. But I think we really need to be careful about that in our world and in our music music making, mm-hmm. is... It's very interesting to me, you know, this whole thing of the rigidity of rhythms in four, that we tend to in this age like that rhythm. It's very martial, and it's very mechanized, and very strong. And there is a lot of behavior in the music too. Let's say I'm going to use rap for the moment. There can be a lot, a lot of movement that's happening. Uh, if you see a video of the rappers, uh, but also. In terms of the uh, instrumentation that can be going on, there can be a lot that's happening. If you listen carefully, wow, oh, there's a lot of polyphony that can be happening. It can be remarkably actually balanced. I'd say it's a little bit heavy on the structure side, in my own opinion. Yeah, The words are not, though, are they? Hmm. Very often the words can be very structured, but the words can also be talking about, just wanting to be self-expressive or, you know, jumping out of the box. But ironically, the box is the rhythm in four. One, two, three, four, one, two, it's quite static. One, two, three, four. Um, So what we see then is the desire in the human brain, in my opinion, to achieve structure and behavior and a balance between those two things. An excess of one will cause an excess in another. So. In music, I feel very strongly, we want to strike a balance because of the fact that it will help the human mind the listener to achieve a better balance of the emotions with structure, with a strong beat, with the rules of harmony, with all of this. The, that, the, the music that we tend to love the most in the long term tends to be the stuff that balances those two extremes. If it is not in balance, I believe it can create A lack of health. Mm -hmm. So I've talked before, kind of humorously, but about delicious and nutritious. That's an example of it. Yes.
1: (laughs) So we love all your cooking examples. (laughs) Wow. And how do we get to this place where maybe we're out of control with both the structure and the behavior?
0: I think it's recognizing certain things. Like I, my own feeling is let's think about what the ultimate structure is I need to be overly dramatic here but I'd say death hmm. so I think sometimes when we want to just shut down, I mean, I, I, I really feel this myself. When my life gets too chaotic, I've got all these things coming at me, I've got to take care of this, and my garden is getting out of control, as my sister would say, she can hear the weeds growing, um, uh, the dogs need to be walked, but at what time, it's getting too hot, I've got to pay these bills, I've got to take care of this, I've got to take care of that. Guess what Marianne likes to do, is sit her little butt in front of the TV and watch some movie. That structure, I'm just sitting there. It's very controlled. It's in a box, <laughs> By the way the screens usually square. Uh, and I'm just looking at that and that let, let everyone do it. And I'm just going to be right here and I'll, you know, I'll sit with my dogs. And that is the ultimate reaction to overstimulation. That the ultimate reaction is to just shut down and stop. And I think that when people are depressed and they want to just stop, If we can just pay attention to, wow, is there a lot of behavior that's happening? So what would be healthier for me and what, of course, I try to do is while I do enjoy a good movie, if I'm using it to escape, it's probably not a good thing. If I'm using it to change my mood, it's just like alcohol. It's like smoking a cigarette. Very structured things, actually, those two things. I mean... (laughs) My own feeling about alcohol is if you're using it to change your mood, very much what uh, Bradshaw said years ago and uh, talking about um, his very important book, I'm OK, You're OK, that kind of yeah. transactional analysis. Ultimately, it is this whole thing of you're using it to change your mood. So why am I in that mood? And what can I do to create a healthy structure and a healthy behavior? With drinking, sometimes people want to do it to let go because they're too structured. Their life is structured. All they want to do is cut loose. They want to go out here in Nashville and go in a truck that's, you know, a tractor that's pulling them in a a box, by the (laughs) way, and scream bloody murder and, you know, and just have a good time and get get smashed, you know, to forget about it because it's too structured. So I think that the, the irony is, do you see, we're too structured, too much behavior. Can, it's the balance of those two things that cause the healthiest, most beautiful, joyful, and blissful states. But I think a lot of times when we're in an extreme in situation, we will react in the extreme. So what I would say, to answer your excellent question, I think what we have to do is kind of say, whoa, you know, <laughs> just a little bit more mindful, why am I behaving in this way? Like, if I'm angry and I'm listening to rap, does the rap do loud noises, lots of, you know, square beats? What What's going on there? And how, is it healthy for me in the long run? Or isn't it? It's just so funny right now, everybody, and the background here will probably be edited out, but you might hear screaming <laughs> people in the street down here uh, in one of those, what are they called? Uh, party barges. Party barges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and very like, Nashville. Very Nashville. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, everything that you're saying is is brilliant and and it makes me think also like what is the role of of our addiction to stimulation in in all of this and and how how are we using that also as a distraction and and how is it affecting our artistry? It's a great question. I do think that the
0: desire for uh, more and more intense sensations is completely natural and normal, it, is that when we, and we know this with the endorphins and everything, that mm-hmm. the brain wants more and more stimulation. If it's positive, we want more of it. If I got that one donut, two won't hurt. Right. If I just had one Manhattan, two can't possibly be <laughs> bad for me. <laughs> so I think that what's beautiful now is talking about how we understand better about endorphins. Before that, people didn't know that. And again, we're so blessed to have donuts. <laughs> yes. And we're so we're living in a world where we can get our hands on all kinds of really bad and good stuff. Uh, but I think that what we also have, which is great, is science providing the structure that tells us, you know what? But that's good for you for the moment, but probably not so good for you the next morning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the swollen ankles the lethargy that you know the the headaches <laughs> the things that come from that are going to uh hit us and not to mention the things that are invisible to us that the destroyed damaged neurons so we have the blessing of science to tell us you know what folks seems good but watch it there is a part of your brain that's telling you it's good, but it's not your whole brain.
1: <laughs> it's uh-huh. not
0: your whole being. It's just part of it. So w- once again, we have to just be a bit more mindfully aware.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking while you were talking about, uh, cause it blew my mind the, how rigid we are and it's not a bad thing, everything in moderation basically, mm-hmm. but just really thinking about like, how do we get to this place from the lens of of music, like in our education, like, like how did we get to this space where it's almost an indoctrination of fear. And, um, I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast with father Richard Rohr. Um, and they really went for it. It's awesome. It's on her podcast, unlocking us, but they were talking about how, you know, especially in the construct of religion, there's a huge, you know, oppressive nature to the church um, because they were the the father figures. So your parents, you know, as kids, would would threaten you to do good things and, Mm -hmm. you know, threaten you to not get in trouble and, you know, like kind of punish you, that kind of thing. And then it kind of became the role of the church Mm -hmm. to kind of be your faux parents in in adulthood and make sure that you were in order. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking that same model to to music school, like there's just this threat of if it's not structured and if your behavior isn't this, that is gets put in a box, then you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. How do you break out of that?
0: Well, and I think it's happening, Karen. It's an excellent... Excellent uh, question and point. Uh, I think that we are breaking out of it. Your husband, Nick, is helping with that. Jazz. Because it has structure. You have to do certain chords at a certain time. And yet it's behavior because you're constantly using your soul to make decisions. That's the behavioral part. And you often don't even know what decisions you're going to make at the moment if you're really good. You just know the structure. It's loose. It's 12 pitches, 11 dichords, every rhythm has 200. So <laughs> but basically it's a very basic structure, and that allows for freedom. So the more you try to structure things, the most, more unhealthy it is, and the more it's going to cause a reaction against it. So it's my feeling that jazz comes about at a time in music where things were probably not as, as balanced, but I thank heaven for jazz, because it, it continued a tradition that did exist of musicians improvising. So I just was speaking to a young man uh, in one of my discovery meetings last week, and I mentioned this this very important aspect of the work I do, which is improvising. Boy, it's hard to get people to do that who are yeah. classically trained. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's like mega to just get them to do four beat a four beat pattern and just do whatever they want initially. But as soon as that flow begins, it begins. It's fabulous. But look at what happened in the 19th century. Brahms was an improviser. Chopin was unbelievably an improviser. Yeah. He would just improvise for guests for hours and so we have his fabulous literature which is an incredible gift Mm -hmm. but he was an improviser Mozart was an improviser these guys were the music stars of their day and they did a lot of improvising again Beethoven apparently had to kind of prompt him with a little wine and but he you know he would start improvising and it would just go on and on Brahms, it was said, he would start with kind of almost a choral kind of texture, a prelude kind of thing, and then he would go into it. But I think that when people think that jazz is unique because of improvisation, I think that's not quite true. I think that what happened was that in the late 19th century in music, this is what happened, is that there was the amateur and there was professional, and never the twain shall meet. I hate to say it. I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. The whole thing with Schumann and the Philistines uh, controlling music. The Philistines being people who don't know what they're really doing. And, you know, that kind of thing where I am the great artist, but you are a peon and you're just there to, to play the notes when I tell you to play them. And you will never ascend to my level because I am the romantic genius. I am that 2% part of that 2% of the world. And I am above you. I'm so sorry. Not true. If you are not a creative, and you are not an improviser, I doubt you're going to be a very good um, interpreter of music. It's like if you don't speak English, I just don't think you're going to be very good at acting in English. I don't know that for a fact, but I could bet on it. (laughs) If you don't know English, you're going to have a hard time in Hollywood acting in an English role. And I think there are people who can attest to that. So um, um, ultimately, I think that it is this beautiful uh, need that today that jazz is offering uh, is the opportunity to be creative with the structure. So you have the structure of the chords and you have to memorize the charts and you better be able to play in all keys because you never know what key you might need to play in. But it's playing. It's not... You see, excessive structure came down because it was this this need to control the Philistines. The need to help those poor, hopeless people that can never speak. And I so strongly disagree with that. I mean, my whole career has been... All of us can speak music at a high level if we want to. Mm. And if we choose to. I'm not going to say it's going to be always painless because it's not. Pain and growth go together, we know. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, uh, though, it does not have to be that obsessive parental thing. I want to just throw out, though, that what you said was really important in this wonderful uh, podcast you were mentioning about the church and being a father figure structure let's just think about the dark ages Mm. those structures were crucial in an age of chaos they structure was being was balanced accepting it was way over wasn't it Mm. and so when we achieve these moments in history where we have the balance of those elements i would say Frankly, it would have been probably right after World War Two. There are certain periods in time where I think we achieve that balance uh, in a country or whatever, perhaps in whole regions. But ultimately, uh, what I think is happening is at those moments is when we have the happiest people. And again, it's just what the Buddha said it's the do mean, it's the middle way, the middle path. Mm. But you have to be sensitive to this is too much. This is too little. We have to adjust. And it's never going to just be uh, static. It's always moving. It's like getting your balance in the water. It's, It's fluid. It's not.
1: Yeah. What's the
0: role of curiosity in all of this? Wow, that's a great question. I think the role of curiosity is so important because it is the nature of the human mind to question and if it's not questioning it's not there's not going to be the dynamic of between structure and behavior there's just going to be status static and of course nothing really is static it's an illusion it's not going to happen so i think curiosity is why is this happening exactly it's a great question that Mm -hmm. is the question Why am I doing this? Why do I feel like I want to watch TV? Okay, let's look at why we want to watch TV. Is it the best solution at the moment? Sometimes it can be, Mm -hmm. Um, but is that glass of wine really? Do I need the glass of wine to open up and be more behavioral? Mm -hmm. Maybe I could play some jazz. Yeah, you know, maybe compose something or do something else. So I think it's the curiosity, but that's the thing. It's asking, is there a better way that I could do this, or why am I doing that, instead of just I'm doing that, like some sort of a automaton who doesn't yeah. isn't reflective. So, again, the soul is not engaged if you're not asking questions. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be making decisions. Decisions come from having two opposing things that are working against each other and you're choosing one or the other. It's on or it's off. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Hot or it's cold. It's, but it's, it is definitely just awareness.
1: And before we wrap up, I'm curious, you know, kind of back from our previous episode around dissonance. Like it was very interesting and it makes total sense, especially from like a musical standpoint, but then thinking about it practically, like, yes, the, the more, dissonance something is the, technically the closer it is mm-hmm. so what is the role of that in in this in in having that awareness? is very meta but having that awareness around something's not quite right but i'm getting closer like how, how do we develop that discernment
0: yeah i think mostly it's avoiding judging like mm-hmm. dissonance is bad yeah no dissonance is dissonance Mm-hmm. Semitone is fabulous, but in music there is a need because it's stressful. There is a need for resolution, and it can resolve in several different ways. So ultimately, it's a 15 to 16 ratio. If you have a minor second, that means you're awfully close. Now, what could happen is you could move that upper, that lower note down a whole tone, and now it's creating a minor third. Well, that's that's kind of nice. That's but it is intense but it's more emotional <laughs> so my husband and i um well keith leave it to keith would take my theory of dichords and take it to the next level so he's so i've discovered a way of teaching people how to have absolute pitch because there are particular properties of a pitch that i'm not going to get into here but that ultimately uh, each of us has a pitch a home pitches he would discover in the shower tapping on his chest and huh. he would discover that there are intervals in different parts of his body which is why he's an amazing musical instrument builder so but what he thought what he said was he thinks that the perfect relationship is if the two people in a relationship are a perfect fourth apart
1: I love this. This is so
0: him. <laughs> Tell me more. It's so great. He would go to a tree and he'd show people. You know, I love this. We go around our, our yard and it's so hilarious. He's got this little hammer thingy, a wooden hammer thing. And he goes and he taps on the main branch of a tree and he taps on another branch, sub-branch, you know, that's going off from it. Da-da, 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 da-da. It's a perfect fourth. He'll go to another place, another tree. Da, 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 da. It will be a perfect fourth. And he theorizes using my ideas that a perfect fourth is perfect means a stable, structured. But The uh, perfect fourth is what I call a non-harmonic dichord. That means that the upper note is not in the overtone series. What's really interesting is physicists apparently, and maybe folks out there might know something better, or maybe I'm wrong here, but to my knowledge nobody's able to find a perfect fourth in the overtone series above a given note. So if you have a C, there's no F in there. There's a tritone, there's an F sharp, which everyone calls, you know, the devil in music, <laughs> but the perfect fourth isn't there. So, you know, we theorize that that's actually a very stable sound because of the two pitches um, actually being just the right ratio, which is in this case, three to four, and that ultimately it means that you have stability, but at the same time, there's a sort of intensity because the upper note's not in the overtone series and is a semitone off the uh, overtone, the major third overtone, of the bottom note. So if I have a C and an F, that F wants to go down to that E natural, which is the fifth partial. What's really cool about it, in my own theory thinking about it, it goes way back to Jean-Philippe Rameau and before that, 1728, is that if you take C and F, you know what? C is the third partial of F. Now, he doesn't talk about partials in his Treatise in Harmony, but that's why I think that it's so cool, is the bottom note is actually belonging to the upper note. So my husband and I, Keith is a C, I'm an F. And so it's kind of cool because he's yeah. the fundamental, he's the lowest frequency. On the other hand, I'm the, tonic, I'm the root, as I call it, of that dichord. And so it creates a certain degree of friction. At the same time, where it's reasonable, we can talk about our problems. We're not all emotional. Yeah. But that when when things are happening between people, I have a very good friend. I think I mentioned this in like my third podcast with you, Karen. Is I had a friend who was a semitone off of me, my pitch. She was an E, and I'm an F. And it, we would get together. We'd like it was manic. We'd burn <laughs> each other out. We were a semitone apart. Huh. Interesting, huh? That is we so cool. We couldn't live together, but we just, there was so much like, wow, that's so cool. And and we had a lot to talk about. But you can't freak out about the fact that you're a dissonant interval with each other, although you probably don't want to have too much of that because it's stressful yeah. in the long run. So in our country, if we are that close to a unison, we probably need to do something to change that out. I think that FDR was that person that... Took a semitones and moved them to like a minor third. He, yeah. he appealed to the people. He appealed emotionally to the people. And yet there was an intensity and still a fair amount of friction that existed between the Democrats and the Republicans even way back then. Yeah. Um, but he was able to move it to a feeling of, of warmth and heart and love for each other away from just anger. Yeah but we can't keep we can't sustain this anger for very when we know that for very much longer and you know what we're looking for we're looking for a unison and that's what the authoritarian and fascist folks will do so music teaches us a lot wow. about maybe if we move further apart in terms of our attitudes we would actually be more stable huh. But it's crazy, (laughs) yeah. But we don't need to freak out about being a minor second. We just need to say that's really just what it needs to be right now. But what? How can we change it if we want to? Yeah,
1: that's so fascinating. I mean, this brings it to like a whole new level of of just like almost spirituality around music is everywhere, and we're all a part of that. And how cool to think of interpersonal relationships in that way as well. It is.
0: Of course, we know that with the quantum realm, right? We're all sharing those little (laughs) subatomic particles in ways that are really weird, as Einstein would. Yeah. All that weird science, weird, what do you call it, weird behavior between particles that are far apart I don't know it anyway yeah that they would that something across the world would respond at the same moment Uh, (laughs) uh, and in exactly the same way and that
1: weird science is
0: music it's vibration
1: yeah amazing Marianne I love this so
0: much wow well well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share those ideas yeah
1: Yeah, this is so good Um, I know this topic for everyone listening um, could feel maybe a little bit abstract so if there's any questions or thoughts like please do not hesitate to reach out I know you're always you know answering messages and whatnot and before we wrap up are you taking on any more students Uh, yes I am
0: Uh, again kind of for me the more the merrier Mm-hmm. I enjoy that a great deal I, I have a lot I would love to share before I leave this plane mm-hmm. and so yes if you're interested and you you love music and you're think you're in a place where you want to figure out those principles and that you're able to be in a space where you can slow down and spend 20 minutes a day or more if you want I uh, I would be delighted to work with you. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Marianne. This is so helpful. Thank you, Karen.